0: Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, full of grace. Did those words make you uncomfortable? As we sung them in our opening hymn, perhaps you had that experience. I know that a piece of me did for many years. But why? Why? Well, they're words from a Roman Catholic prayer called, aptly, the Hail Mary, of course. And um, I learned that in Roman Catholic school and I was always taught that that was all Catholic stuff. That Mary stuff was Catholic stuff. That had no place in Protestantism. But then, as I grew older, I traveled the world a little bit. And I went to Rome and I went to Florence and saw the beautiful imagery of mary and people's true devotion to christ through her and i thought to myself okay well they're good roman catholics that's all well and good then i went to england of course our tradition's ancestral home and was surprised to see chapels dedicated to our lady and was surprised to see stained glass in the windows to our lady and was surprised to see icons of Our Lady. And I was taken aback and realized that perhaps me and my provincial American Protestantism had missed something. Maybe I had missed something. It would perhaps surprise you to know, as it did me, that honoring Mary properly is a very Protestant thing to do. It's not a Roman Catholic thing to do. Of course, the Roman Catholics have some strange things that they add on, some odd innovations, that I would say are problematic, don't get me wrong. But, for example, at the time of the Reformation, did you know that our own Thomas Cramner left no less than five feasts of the Virgin Mary in the Book of Common Prayer? Or, did you know that Martin Luther that great man of the Reformation wrote the following. Mary, he said, should be highly praised for God has protected her and lifted her above all other women, allowing her to conceive without sin. It is through this fruit of her womb that the faithful are blessed, and it is only and it is only faith in Christ that will bring salvation. Famed reformer John Calvin wrote that Mary deserves the honor and the highest, the highest honor for carrying God's own Son. And Ulrich Zwingli wrote that the the more honor and love of Christ increases among men, so must the esteem and honor given to Mary grow. These are not Roman Catholics, friends. These are stalwarts of the Reformation. And yet, somehow, here in America, we've associated any type of honoring of Mary with Roman Catholicism. The fact is that it's a sad thing that we have a prejudice against the Roman Catholics in this country. And we have a prejudice against some historic traditions of the church in this country. And we need to root that out of ourselves, We need to root that out of ourselves because it blocks part of our faith from us and it robs us of some of the treasures of the historic church. How often we human beings rob ourselves of understandings and joys because of our prejudice if we actually think about it. Particularly today, on the 15th, we celebrate St. Mary the Virgin who we do not say was assumed or was immaculately conceived without sin. We don't hold any of those Roman Catholic positions. But we do say, is a woman and mother to be a model for us all? And a model believer, the first believer, the first Christian in fact, for she's the first one who professes and says yes to Jesus Christ. Did you ever think about it that way? As in all things, our dogma comes from the authority of scriptures. And Mary's honor comes from her relationship to Jesus, our Lord. Today, we celebrate Saint Mary the Virgin as that model. First, let's look at her, a woman full of grace or graced. Saint Mary the Virgin is highly graced or favored by God. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Now, it might strike you as a Roman Catholic prayer. But I invite you, if you have your Bibles, open up and look at Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. What does the angel Gabriel say? I'll read it to you. And the angel came to her, that is Mary, and said, Hail thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. Do you see this is a direct quotation of the scriptures itself? And the word here, which can be translated favor or full of grace, is the Greek word, which means to be favored or graced or full of grace. And so the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and declares her full of God's grace. Full of grace. The Lord has poured out his grace richly upon her. And in the Annunciation, which is what this passage is, we see that there is a redemption that goes on, not just of mankind starting here. Of course, we know the Incarnation is the beginning of all our redemption, but there's a redemption particularly of women that goes on here. For notice, who was the first woman, the first person that sinned, but a woman? Timothy is given a letter from St. Paul. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, we read, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. But that's not the end of the story. For in God's plan, it is through St. Mary the Virgin that salvation comes to the world. And as Paul continues, he writes Timothy in verse 15 of the same chapter, yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So here we see the typology of all womankind being redeemed by Mary undoing in her choice, at least contributing to the undoing, of the sin that Eve chose. The deception of Eve is remitted by the blood of Christ, but in order for that to happen, the yes of Mary first occurs, and God gives her that grace to do it. So here in St. Mary's womanhood, we see a womanhood and a motherhood redeemed, restored, and honored. St. Mary becomes the temple of the Lord. Theophanes the confessor, who was a scholar that wrote in the 700s, reflecting on this very passage imagines St. Mary's response in understanding. Of course, we know her response was our gospel that she broke into song, but what must she have been thinking? Well, obviously this is not equal to scripture, but here's what Theophanes thought. The descent of the Holy Spirit Has purified my soul. It has sanctified my body. It has made a temple, me a temple, containing God, a divinely adorned tabernacle, a living sanctuary, and the pure mother of life. Of course, all that is true, for in holding Christ in her womb, Mary was those things. And all of this is true for Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man and was developed in her. Look at verses 31 through 33 in today's passage. That is Luke chapter 2. Verses 31 through 33. What does Simeon say about this? That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. He argues that Jesus is nothing less than that, than the glory of all peoples, a light to all peoples rather, and the glory of his people Israel. The angel in the Annunciation, Gabriel continues to explain to Mary that her cousin Elizabeth was also pregnant in old age by God's miracle. But something struck me today in reading that passage about what the angel Gabriel says. Look with me at the angel Gabriel's words. So, this is chapter 1, verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God, the angel says. For nothing will be impossible with God. This should make your ears perk up, particularly as we just read Genesis 18. Do you remember what happened in Genesis 18? Last week, in our sermon series, what was going on? The three visitors come to Abraham, remember? And Sarah is told that she will conceive and have a child in a year's time, less than a year. And what's Sarah's reaction? Do you remember? Thank you. She laughs. She laughs. She laughs inwardly. And what does the angel say to Abraham in response to her laughter after chastising her? Is anything too hard or is anything too wondrous, depending on your translation, for God? Is anything too hard or is anything too wondrous for God? So here we are thousands of years later and look what the angel says for nothing will be impossible with God. Have you ever made that connection before? I think it's an amazing connection. Here we see Mary's response very different from Sarah's because she's been given the grace of the Lord. Look at Mary's response in verse 38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Bishop and theologian Irenaeus of Leon, a bishop whom we call a theologian now that wrote in the 200s, wrote this. He said, as the human race was subjected to death through the act of a virgin, that is Eve, so was it saved by a virgin, was precisely balanced by the obedience of another. Then indeed, the sin of the first formed man was amended by the chastisement of the first begotten. That is Jesus. The wisdom of the serpent was conquered by the simplicity of the dove. And the chains were broken by which we were in bondage to death. That's Irenaeus of Lyon writing in the 200s. And so we see where Eve was deceived and disobeyed by lack of trust. Mary, by faith and grace, trusts God's word and then brings forth God's word, literally and in person, among us, Jesus Christ. St. Mary is also a model, however, not just for women, but for all believers. For she appears throughout the Gospels with Jesus, her son, quietly, supportively. But there, her cousin Elizabeth, at the age the aged mother of John the Baptist recognizes this as does John the Baptist. Again, look at our scripture passage, Luke chapter 1, this time, verses 42 through 45. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of that, what was spoken to her from the Lord. Don't miss the last part. Of course, we have another quotation from the prayer. But don't miss the last part of that passage, that very last line before Mary responds with what we call the Magnificat in verse 46. Elizabeth says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Notice, what is the blessing or the happiness of Mary? Her faith. Her belief in the Lord. Her belief in the Lord. Don't miss that. This is faith. This is a story of faith. This is a story of Mary's pers- persistent rather, faith throughout the Gospels. She believes and treasures Simeon's words that I read to you earlier, along with many others in chapter 2, verse 51. And at the wedding of Cana, Jesus, in what will be Jesus' first miracle in John's Gospel, Mary brings the servants to Jesus and says, do whatever he tells you to do after bringing the the problem of the lack of wine at the feast to him. And we read that her heart is pierced with anguish as his side is pierced upon the cross. She awaits Jesus' resurrection with the apostles. And she awaits the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. She's there in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. Mary persistently believes in faith although not in a loud way, not even in a visible way all the time. Jesus makes it clear that it is her faith that makes her blessed. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 27 and 28, Jesus is in a crowd, and as we read this, verse 27, as Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And he replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. What's Jesus saying? He's pointing to Mary's faith and to the faith of all believers as opposed to some strange charm or grace. She is the first Christian. She has believed and been graced that way. St. Augustine writes, Mary was more blessed in accepting the faith of Christ than in conceiving the flesh of Christ. Well, that's a—I would say that, that is a particular quote against some of the misuse that we see in Roman Catholicism of Mary's adoration. St. Augustine himself saying, look, it's because of her belief that she's blessed. More is she blessed by her belief than in the fact that she conceived Christ. Indeed. Could there be a more Protestant thing to say? That Mary is honored for her belief? Of course not. But of course, St. Augustine writes long before the Protestant Reformation, doesn't he? So in conclusion, it's important for us, friends, to honor St. Mary the Virgin, for it is an integral part of our faith as historic Christians. We honor her not as the Queen of Heaven, not as one immaculately conceived, although she did conceive Christ without sin, but rather we honor her as the model, the the redeemed Eve. We honor her as the first person to believe and say yes to Jesus and the first person to show the way and point to Jesus in the church. In ignoring St. Mary the Virgin and reacting in our prejudice we rob ourselves from all sorts of things. For example, we rob ourselves of the value of motherhood, which is something that we Protestant, historically Protestant countries have come to this place where we don't value motherhood. How many times have I witnessed my wife and others struggle with being ashamed because they choose not to work outside of the home? Why is that? Well, there's probably many reasons, but this might be part of it, that our society doesn't honor motherhood with the honor it should have, and doesn't see it as real work, quote unquote. People say things to her like, you're so lucky you get to stay home with your children. I've heard it multiple times. You know what? It's not luck, it's a choice. A choice that's made because of a priority. Now, I'm not saying that that's the choice everyone must make, but I'm saying that we live in a society that doesn't even entertain that and is prejudiced against it. Why? Well, perhaps because we don't honor the mother of our Lord. How many professional women would give up full-time, that would work, rather, how many professional women who work full-time struggle in their self-worth because Christianity a prejudiced Christianity that doesn't take Mary into account does not give them this Marian alternative viewpoint of valuing a woman as a mother on the other side of things how many fundamentalist and evangelical women believe that they're less important or inferior to men because they don't work we see that too right in the evangelical side of the church where yes supposedly a woman should stay home, but then the evangelical side says, well, you stay home, so you're inferior to to the man. That, too, comes from a lack of good theology, a lack of a piece of our faith. I've witnessed both of these as a pastor, and both are wrong. The salvation of men and women comes through motherhood. Motherhood, matrimony, is important. And perhaps some of the oversexualization of women also comes from a lack of this. How many cultural problems do we have from the oversexualization of women to seeing them as merely the fulfillment of a sexual appetite? Our cultures answer stupidly is to say, "Oh, well let's just sexualize men too." Right? You've all seen this. The idea that Oh, well, a woman can act just as bestial as a man and should, right? That's the, the kind of bizarre, postmodern, twisted feminism that we see today. But that's not the answer. That, that just makes both sexes, both genders, less in people's minds, dehumanized, over-sexualized. What if instead we were able, as Protestants, to point to St. Mary as a valuable person, as above the apostles, as the ancient church calls her, as someone who's a model for purity and submission to God's will, as a model of faith. Should we not teach our daughters and our sons about that, Mary? Should we neglect that because of our prejudice? What about the faith of women? How many times do we hear that Christianity as a religion that marginalized marginalizes women. It's true that this happens in parts of Christianity. But you know what? If you ever visit cultures dominated by Roman Catholicism or Eastern Orthodoxy, that whole idea is laughable. That Christianity is a male religion? Go look at their churches. Go look at their churches. Right next to Jesus Christ is the Theotokos, Mary, the mother of our Lord. Historic Christianity rightly places Mary above the apostles as the Theotokos, or God-bearer. But she's, and she is the one who not only physically bore Christ, but spiritually bears him by her faith to the church. She's a woman made strong by her submission to the faith, by her obedience to God. Like the church, God chooses Mary a young girl who's not mighty by worldly standards, who does not have anything to offer besides herself to be an instrument to overthrow kingdoms, empires, and death itself and all of death's ways. Oh, that we could be more like her. But to be more like her, we have to be willing to at least honor her. The first saint of the church, the first Christian, the mother of our Lord, and to have the humility that she has to accept God's grace, to believe, and to convey an an obedience to him, to those around her. So friends, let us repent of such things, of such prejudices. Let us look to Mary for who she biblically is and the model that she ought to hold. And let us go forth from this place understanding that it's by Jesus' grace alone and in faith, by his grace, that she is honored among women. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.